Hi, I'm Alan Knox, and thanks for listening to the Lamp and Light Podcast. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This podcast seeks to let the Bible shine into our hearts and minds by hearing the word preached. This first season is a collection of sermons from the early chapters of the book of Psalms that I preached at Crossroad Christian Church in McKinney, Texas. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, let's open with a word of prayer. Now, Father, as we turn to your word, we pray that the Spirit of God would speak to us, uh, that you would teach us. You have promised in your word, O God, that you would be our instructor. And as, uh, Father, as I stand here this morning, I recognize my weakness and my inability to communicate your truth. And so I pray, Father, in our, in our weakness, as my weakness as a speaker and our weakness as hearers of your word, we pray that your spirit would uh, fill us and, and cause us to understand and to live by your words, O oh God. May they sink into the bedrock of our souls so that they become the very foundation out of which we live. And may they be like uh, seeds, O oh Lord, planted in our life that bear fruit so that we would live for you and shine for you in this world to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The world that we live in can be a very unfair place. Um, we recognize this even from the point of view of birth. Some people are born into this world with incredible advantages, and others are born with almost nothing. Uh, I, I mean, I feel this acutely, I think, when I talk with someone from a very poor nation, uh, someone that longs for, and, and this happens fairly regularly when I'm able to visit with someone who is from, in particular, a third world nation. They long for someone to come and teach them the Bible. And, uh, and you know, it's at that point, when I begin to think about uh, all the books that are available, all the, you know, teaching videos that we have, all, I mean, we just have so much. Uh, it, it would... It would literally be impossible, I think, to uh, read in any given year all of the books that are published from a Christian point of view. So the uh, teaching that we have is just so abundant in this country. There are also times when some people have great power and others have almost none. And that the powerful use their means uh, to take advantage of the weak. And this is what we call injustice. And so it seems to me that Psalm 7, in, uh, in a sense, approaches this question. Can we praise God even when we live in a world that seems unfair and unjust? Or maybe to phrase it another way, should we anticipate that God will one day fix the problems of injustice? Uh, so let's read now from that point of view, uh, Psalm chapter 7. <clears throat> o Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. 
Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. So this psalm kind of begins then with the idea of the fact that there is injustice in the world. Injustice means being injured by someone more powerful than you. So verses 1 and 2 says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. So here is the setting that, that the psalmist begins with. Uh, we don't really know anything, even though there's a heading here that talks about the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Uh, there's just no, there's no anchor point to tie this to something in David's life that we know about or to anyone else's. Uh, so again, we're kind of left with a generic setting here of David or whoever wrote this psalm being pursued by enemies who are threatening to destroy this person. But the psalmist sees God as his refuge. But the question before us is, what does that really mean? What does it mean that God is our refuge? Is God our refuge in the same sense that if... Um, well, if I could put it this way by way of analogy, if someone in the middle of the night starts pounding on your door, you know, someone who's not trying to knock to get you to come to the door, but someone who is beating on the door, attempting to break down your door, you call 911 and you, come, you expect the police to come 
to fight this battle for you. So is God our refuge in that same sense in which we would call God and he would come and take away this enemy? How is it that we're to think about God being our refuge? Injustice means that you are injured by someone more powerful than you, but it means also that you are injured without cause. So verses 3 through 5 says, O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. So this is the psalmist's way of saying that he has not done anything to provoke this attack. Now, revenge may not be right, but we can all understand it. If I do something mean to you and then you do something mean back to me, then I cannot really say that you have treated me unfairly or with injustice. So this psalm addresses times when we are attacked for no reason by someone in a more powerful position, when it feels as though there is nothing that you can do in response, or at least nothing that you should do, how do you find comfort in God in such a time? So the number two. So number one is the unjust world. We live in an unjust world. Number two, God will make things right by judging all people. What I'm suggesting to you is that if our experience of the world is all there is, then there are times of injustice that we cannot resolve. We recognize that sometimes people commit crimes or um, do things. And if we were to extend this beyond our nation, there are nations of the world that are run by unjust governments who commit crimes against their own people. And there is no one really to check them, no one to stop them. So one of the hopes that we have is the reality that God will judge all people. And that's where the psalmist takes this, verses 6 and 7. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. So there's two facts that are contained in these verses. One is that God has appointed a judgment. And this is really spelled out clearly for us. This is one of those places in the Old Testament that hint about the final judgment of God. But we see this more clearly spelled out in the Old Testament. We think about Jesus when he uh, talks about the, the end times. He talks about a moment where God judges all people, where all people are brought before the judgment seat of God. The other fact, along with the fact that there's an appoint, a day appointed for judgment, is the fact that it is a day appointed for judgment of all people. 
So it will be all-encompassing. Uh, one of the things that I was reading this week, just uh, in my own private devotions, reading from Luke right now, I, I was reading about the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So one of the things that the parable of the rich man and Lazarus points to, uh, scholars call it, get just this kind of big word here, but eschatological reversal. Eschatology or eschatological just means the last days, last things. So what it means is at the end, there's a reversal. And you see it spelled out in this, in this parable because the rich man and, and Abraham, who's a character in this parable, actually says to the rich man, while you were alive, you had everything and Lazarus had nothing. And so now it's reversed. The rich man is in hell and Lazarus is in heaven with Abraham. And so that's the idea that, that there's a day in which those who have all of the power will have none of the power as they stand before God. So this is good news for us in the fact that while it's easy to subvert justice in this world right now, no one will escape God's justice. In one of my, uh, in one of the more memorable Sherlock Holmes stories, uh, Holmes is confronted by a man who has, who has murdered someone, and seemingly gotten away with it. Someone else has been framed for it. And the man, of course, you know the, the theme of the Sherlock Holmes stories is that while the person thinks they have gotten away with it, Sherlock Holmes finds the little clues and deduces that this person actually did it. And he calls this person to him and he confronts him. And he finds out that this man is dying. This man, this older man who, who murdered someone is very sick and he will die within the next several months. And he says to, to Sherlock Holmes, if you would just wait until after I have passed so that my family is not subjected to this to, to my ruin, basically. And Sherlock Holmes says something, and this reflects the way that uh, the worldview of the time that, that these stories were written. Sherlock Holmes says, you yourself know that you will face a higher court than the British court when you die. And that's, that's a part of our understanding as Christians, that the person who seemingly gets away with a crime or gets away with an injustice one day will be faced by a judge. Now the bad news of that is that all of us will face that judge. And the gospel, this is really important to understand. The gospel is not that we escape God's judgment or God's justice that somehow, because we're Christians, God sweeps our sins under the rug. 
The gospel is that Jesus has suffered the penalty of God's justice in our place so that we might receive God's mercy. So, one hope that we have in this is that God will judge all people. Uh, Number three on your outline, God will make things right by separating the evil from the righteous. Verses 8 and 9, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked man come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. Now, this is one of those verses that really bothers people because the psalmist seems to be saying, judge me on my own merits. And and I think that's not really the point here. It seems to me that the point is, the psalmist is saying, there are two sides on this issue. There, I am being pursued by enemies. And you know, on this issue, there is a right side and a wrong side. And the psalmist is saying, God, judge me and judge my pursuers. And you will see that I am on the right side of this issue. And they are on the wrong side. So it's not that the psalmist is saying, in, in my being, I am righteous all of the time, but more on this issue, I am righteous. I am doing the right thing in this circumstance. It points to the final judgment in which God, who is able to discern, as we see here, he tests the minds and the hearts. God will separate those who belong to him and who have been striving to live a life pleasing to him from those who have ignored God and his commands completely. We understand there is no person, save the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is righteous in his own being, in his or her own being. And so, we all understand that we are sinners But we should also understand that those of us who have been born again, who have confessed Christ as Lord and are striving to live lives pleasing to him, striving to imitate God's character, striving to live in what Paul calls the fruit of the spirit. We are in one category and those who reject God, who have no interest in the things of the spirit are in another category. And the Bible refers to us who have been made righteous by Christ as the righteous and those who have not been made righteous by Christ as the unrighteous. So this is pointing to, uh, again, the analogy that's used, that Jesus uses is of that day of judgment in which the sheep are separated from the goats. So there is this great separation that takes place between those who are righteous in God's eyes and those who are unrighteous. Number four, God will make things right according to his nature. Um, Verses 10 and 11, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge 
and a, ju- and a God who feels indignation every day. So the psalmist, again, just see, see how the psalmist identifies himself here. He is one who has chosen to live in obedience to God and know, knows that those who do so are under God's protection. That's what the psalmist is saying. God, I'm being pursued by enemies. I have been trying to do what's right. I have been trying to follow you. I've been trying to walk in obedience to your law. And so judge whether or not that is true and whether or not those who are pursuing me have been living in obedience to your law. And then he identifies God as a righteous judge. Now, I just want to contrast this um, with the statement that, that we read in another place in Scripture that says God is love. And I want you to see the complexity of God's character here. God is love. He defines love. But as you see here uh, in verse uh, 10, God is a righteous judge. Or excuse me, verse 11, God is a righteous judge. That's who he is. So one of the reasons that we think that even though we live in a world that appears to be unjust at times and unfair at times, we understand that it is the nature of God to act justly. And so the confidence that we have is that one day God will set things right for no other reason than that's who he is. God's nature is to judge evil and bless righteousness. And that's why, and this is a major theme, I think, of the, both the Old and the New Testament, but uh, of the Old Testament in particular, that it makes sense. I mean, I would say this is a major theme of Proverbs in particular. It makes sense to live righteously. Because God, according to His nature, is a God who judges evil and blesses righteousness. And so, if you want to be blessed, it makes sense that you would try to live a righteous life. Number five in our outline, and I, I know I'm going through this kind of quickly, but this is a, uh, a lengthy psalm, and it was, it was a little difficult to try to figure out how to handle this, but these are all kind of pointing to the idea of how can we have an assurance in an unjust world that justice will prevail in the end. Number five, then, is God will make things right by causing evil to be self-punishing. So look at verses 12 through 16 here, and you'll get the sense of this. If a man does not repent, God will wet or sharpen his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. Now notice this. He he makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, And on his own skull, 
his violence descends. So this is a very powerful picture here of how God has designed and how he governs the world. He does it in such a way, as I think we would say, even in our times, that the one who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Oftentimes we see people who plot evil and then fall into the very evil that they design. You know, I think, for instance, of, um, you know, people who uh, create these elaborate schemes or, or, or maybe, you know, some kind of a criminal uh, who, who works at a very high level and eventually they attempt to commit a crime and they're caught in the act and that's that. You know, they're arrested and put into jail or, or whatever the consequence is. And there, there's a sense in which you, you can say to that person, you know, if you hadn't attempted, you'd gotten away with this 10 times. If you hadn't attempted the 11th time, you would have gotten away with it. But you, in a sense, you, you wanted the hole to be a little deeper And so as you were reaching down to make it just a little bit deeper, you fell in. That's the imagery here. And what we should see in that, when when someone who does something criminal and the crime reverses itself and they wind up getting caught and they wind up getting punished for it, when they design evil and instead are designed violence and the violence winds up happening to them, We should see that as part of God's work in the world. This is why, uh, for instance, Paul will talk about the Roman government being given the sword by God. So Paul's talking about the, the government that's ruling over him as possessing the ability to kill people by God's design, by God's purpose, so that they can punish those who are unrighteous. We should see God's design in this world as in part reflecting the reality that God punishes those who are evil. But we should also understand that there is an ultimate sense to this. The one who plots evil will eventually meet God and will receive his or her punishment there. So all of this then leads to the last verse, verse 17. And what it points us to is the fact that I think to understand this psalm, you have to kind of take the first verse and the last verse. First verse is the psalmist being pursued by enemies. The last verse, verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. How is it? That the psalmist, living in an unjust world, is able to praise God. And it's because of all the stuff in the middle. So this is kind of like an Oreo cookie uh, here. You've got verse 1 and uh, verse 17, and then you've got all the cream filling in the middle that that make the thing hold together. Uh, You know, if you've ever... Well, when I was a kid, you know, you'd um, 
open up the Oreo and you eat the cream filling first. That's the way God intended it to be done. Uh, and, but if you try to, you know, if you ever tried as a kid to stick the two cookies back together, once the cream's gone, they don't stick together anymore. The cream holds the two cookies together. And that's what this is. How do you, how do you have on one side being pursued by enemies who are more powerful than you, who are looking to inflict harm on you, who are attacking you, not because you've done anything wrong or hurt them in some way, but because they just have the power to attack you. How do you, how do you praise God for His justice and His righteousness in that kind of setting? And it is because you reflect on who God is and how God has designed the world and the reality that God promises that one day He will separate the righteous from the evil and He will punish those who are evil. It is His nature to do that. In some ways, this, this, this chapter brings up the question of how is it that you live by faith in this world? What does it look like to live by faith in this world? Well, it means that you, it's, not, it's not blind faith that just says, well, you know, que sera, sera, I hope, I hope that everything's going to just work out okay. I just have a belief that everything's going to turn out okay in the end. That's, that's not how Christianity works. This is not pie in the sky. We just sort of hope things work out. It is based upon who God has revealed himself to be. And when we read about who God has revealed himself to be, we look at the world that we live in right now, we can praise God for his righteousness because we are certain that the stuff in the middle of this psalm is true. And we live by faith. This is what you have in this psalm. The psalmist praising God for his righteousness even as he is in the middle of unrighteousness. Praising God for his justice even as he's experiencing injustice because the psalmist knows that God is who he has declared himself to be and God will do what he has declared that he will do. So when we live in this world and we experience injustice, we have great hope. I read somewhere one time that in, in third world nations, in very poor nations in particular, one of the most favorite books of the Bible is the book of Revelation, even though it's very hard to understand. Because Revelation talks about this moment when all the injustice of the world comes to an end and the just government of God takes over everything. Now, we are so blessed to live in a nation of uh, laws, and we certainly have our fair share of problems in this nation, but we are blessed to live in a nation of laws and in a nation where while justice is not always accomplished, it is accomplished more often than in many places in the world. We have, having grown up in this nation, developed an expectation for justice. Uh, in many places in the world, including some places now in this country, people believe 
that justice is no longer possible. As Christians, we extend our hope beyond this world. We work for justice in this world, but we do so believing that there is a greater standard of justice beyond this world. That one day, God will make all things right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lamp and Light Podcast. If you want to be updated when new episodes are available, make sure you subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review so that more people can find this podcast in the future.